You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. All right, so today is our Baptism Sunday, short in service, excited. Um, I'm just going to do a little teaching, really, not very long here, about 15 minutes, and then we're going to go out to Barnhart together. We encourage everyone to come out, bring some food, join us in celebrating, because truth is this. I love some of the parables that Jesus teaches, and there's this one um, kind of series of parables where he talks about um, a lost coin, and he talks about a lost sheep, and then he talks about this son who's lost and comes home, and at the end of every one of these parables where this son is found, or the lost coin is found, or the lost sheep is found, it says that they gather the family and the friends, and they celebrate what had happened. And so there's something real about celebrating together. And so when we celebrate, even what's happening today, Baptism Sunday, it's supposed to be with all of our friends and family to look and see people who are becoming new in life. That's what baptism represents. And so we're going to read that today. But I just want to encourage you, come and celebrate with us. So first I want to read in Romans 6. So, you know, sometimes we look at baptism, sometimes we look at the things we do, in Christianity, and it's easy for us to just get into this kind of religious rote mindset where we're doing the actions that we think we're required to do, but often it's easy for the reasoning behind those things to get lost in translation. And, and I know that, you know, baptism uh, in the Christian world has a very wide-ranging set of beliefs. It's very broad in its understanding. You know, there's churches that believe in infant baptism, there's churches that believe in just baptism when it's volitional, which is what we would believe. There's churches that maybe just sprinkle some water over people's heads. And there's churches that would believe in full immersion, which is what we believe too. And, and so there's these differing beliefs. But the reality of this, I want to talk about the word baptism. It literally means this, to be completely covered in water. That's literally what the word means. So we just kind of take it literally. Now, again, I want to say this thing about baptism as well. It's not a salvation issue. There's salvation, and then there's baptism. Salvation is this moment where we come to Jesus, and we understand what he's done for us. We understand the grace that he poured out for us on the cross. We understand what he accomplished for us in that moment, and we accept that grace into our lives. And in that moment, our lives begin to be renewed. We, we have this eternal life ticket, in a sense, at that moment. But there's still a transformation process that takes place, right? Anybody else still transforming? Wow, you guys are all good? You can go home. You don't need to come to church if you're all good. But we're all transforming. We're all in this process that we've accepted God's grace, which is what is so important about the cross. You know, there's this word, I've used it quite a bit of times because I kind of want it to be common to us. Even though it's a religious doctrinal term, it's called imputed righteousness. It means this righteousness that gets laid over our lives, that we clothe ourselves in is what the scriptures use a, a language as well. That we're clothed in a righteousness that's not our own. So no matter what you did this morning, no matter what bad thoughts you had last night, no matter what actions you did that were sinful in the last week, it doesn't actually matter towards your salvation because you have God's righteousness over you if you've accepted his grace. Now, Paul follows up those kinds of words with this very same thought. Does that mean we go on sinning? Of course not. Those are Paul's words. Of course not. 
It's not supposed to give us a freedom to do whatever we want, but it's supposed to give, a, give us a freedom to change. And I love this about Jesus. There's this unbelievable inclusion and acceptance of who we are simply because we're God's children in his eyes and he wants to get his family back together. But as soon as he gets you back into his family, there's an absolute expectation for you to be transformed into something new. And that's what baptism represents. It's a decision to not just accept his righteousness, but to take another step in your life with Jesus, to take another step in your walk with God, to say, now I want to be transformed. I want to receive everything he has for me, and I want it to be public. So, you know, in those days, you know, when Jesus was walking the earth, baptism was a semi-common thing. And in the Jewish religion, it really was this idea, this symbolic public gesture to tell everyone who you were going to follow. And so rabbis would actually gather followers and they would baptize them. Now they believed that it was also this kind of um, moment of new life and all that. It was in the traditional teaching of the Jewish law. But they also believed this meant I'm going to follow the person who's baptizing me. Now, today, maybe I'm the one baptizing you, but you're not following me. You're following Jesus. And this is where we believe that we're baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. Because then it, what it says to the world and to ourselves is we want to publicly follow Jesus today. You know, there's a place where I think we come to Jesus and we accept his grace. And there's a period of time in our lives, and I don't know about you, but when I got saved when I was around 19 again, I would say again. That's when Jesus rescued me again. <laughs> um, it was hard for me to let everyone know that, that something had happened in me. Even though it was dramatic and it was life-saving, like in a literal sense for me, I, I didn't know how to let people know. I, I was kind of embarrassed at times because all my friends thought going to church and following Jesus was just weird thing that religious people did. I didn't know what to do with it. But there was a moment when I made a decision to publicly declare to the world that I want to follow Jesus. Something happened in me. Something changed in me. Something actually broke where I think the world still had this influence over my life where I now just was saying, no, I only want to follow one person, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we're believing takes place when we do this. And for those that are being baptized, that's what we're believing takes place, this declaration moment. But I'm also believing so much more happened. So I want to read 2 Corinthians um, actually, we're going to start in Romans 6. I want to read Romans 6 to you today. And I've read this scripture a number of times for different contexts. But this, this is Paul writing to the Roman church. And he's going on explaining, and honestly, what I just said is part of where he starts. So verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how, we, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten? And this is Paul. He's reminding the Roman church what baptism is about. He says, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined with Christ Jesus in his death. This is kind of an odd thing to say or even an odd thing to think about. I talk about this quite often, honestly, on Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, we celebrate this moment where Jesus hung on the cross and died. And, of course, we all love Easter, the, the moment where he's resurrected. But there's something about death that matters. And we see throughout the scriptures, especially through the language of agriculture, we see this 
kind of idea displayed where it says, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can't produce fruit. And we know that when we plant this seed, there's this kind of death that takes place with the outward shell, and then water and sunlight get to that seed, and somehow inside that seed, new life begins. And the same is true for us. There has to be a death in our lives for Jesus to bring new life. Now, gratefully, it's not literal. Gratefully, it means that there's something inside us, there's a a person that we've become that in a sense God wants to have die away. And I don't know about you, and without being kind of morbid about it, but there's parts of me that I want to die. There's things of me, the parts that I certainly don't want to talk about, the things that maybe happen inside me or the struggles I've had in the past with mindsets and, and thought patterns and, or even the ways that I feel inside. There's things inside of me that I know are not what God's designed, and I want those things to be put to death so that something new can be born. And so when we read this scripture that we're joined with Christ in his death through baptism, it's actually a celebratory moment. It's like, hey, let's get rid of the worst parts of us. Let's see God kill all the things that were never supposed to be who we were. You see, what God's doing on the earth is a restoration. He's taking what was designed to be that got muddled up by the world and our decisions, and he's restoring it back to the way it was designed to be. And baptism is a step in that restoration. It's a step where God says, okay, I'm going to take all the stuff that is not who you really are, and we're going to let that thing wash away. And Paul's reminding, he says, we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So I was talking with my son Isaac, who is getting baptized today, he's 10 years old. And he's been asking for a couple of years to get baptized. But I'm always like, um, do you really understand? I want, I want him to understand, right? Like, that's what we really believe. This is a personal decision. I don't want to make it as your parent. I don't want you to do it because your friends are doing it. I want you to do it because God's moving in your heart in this moment, and you're making a decision for your life. It was funny, actually. I walked in. I was walking down the hallway just before service started, and, and Barb caught me. And she said, hey, is Isaac getting baptized? And now, she had gotten a list, but his name wasn't on the list because I added it last second. Because he convinced me to let him get baptized. Because I was going to say no. Kind of again, like, oh, I'm not not sure. And Barb, she just said she had had a dream about Isaac. And that I had said no, and that I should have said yes. I was like, well, there. There's a good affirmation for me that he should be getting baptized. But so we started talking at the dinner table last night. Like, again, like, what do you believe about baptism? And what do you think, you know, is happening here? And there's this place where we want to understand that even for a young person, right, there's things that need to pass away, but there's a new life that's supposed to come. We join with what God did on the cross in this, in this moment. And so there's this place where we want God to do what he's doing here. And the whole point is this, not just that there's a death, right, because that means we're going to hold you under the water for a very long time. But there's new life. That's the celebratory part. That you come out of the water new. And so I said, Isaac, you're going to go into the water as one person. But you're going to come out of the water as a new person. And he was like, I am? Like, 
I, hopefully I didn't freak him out. Like, well, you know, you're not going to have a different name or anything. But, but there's this moment where we're believing that what God does when we go under the water is wash away all things. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, the old life is gone and all things have become new. There's this place where God washes away who we were and we begin this new life, this transformation life. Now, I want to end just kind of with this story from John 8. It's one of my favorite stories, story with Jesus. And I just think it symbolizes the heart of God when we talk about what we believe God wants to do within us um, and how he accepts us. And this story maybe you've read a lot of times or I've preached on even a lot of times. It's a story of a woman caught in adultery. That's how it's titled in our scriptures. And it's kind of this really rough story if we actually think about it. You've got this woman who gets dragged out in front of a crowd of religious leaders and Jesus. And she's not even dragged out there because it's about her. They're there, they're doing this because they want to trap Jesus. The religious leaders are mad at him and how he's acting and the things he's saying about God and, and how he's breaking some of their rules and regulations that they added to the law and the law of Moses and all these things. And so they drag this woman out. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. So truthfully, historians would say she was most likely literally naked, completely humiliated, thrown out on the ground, and they're talking about stoning her to death. Like, let's really think about this moment. And you've got Jesus there in this moment, and you've got all these religious leaders, and this is what takes place. Verse 3 of chapter 8 in John, it says, As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again, he rolled in the dust. So you've got this scene, right? I always love how Jesus acts in these moments, like so out of the ordinary, right? You know, people come and they want to debate God with me. I'm just like ready to debate. Jesus is just like, I'm just going to color in the dust. Like totally not moved by what they're trying to move him. And he just listens to them kind of in this jeering, like, you tell us, what would you say? The law says to do this one thing, but what are you going to say? And they actually think they've got him trapped because they probably already know what his intentions are. They actually have seen how he's eaten with sinners and he's gone to tax collectors' houses and he's healed these people who are cast outs of society. And, and they kind of probably know that he's going to accept her. And they want to trap him, right? They're looking for something to accuse him with. And so he stands up and he says this statement, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Because Jesus always knows the best thing to say. Verse 9, it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I think this is so true, right? Like when we really begin to evaluate, these, it says beginning with the oldest. I always think it's true that it began with the oldest because the older you are, the more you start to realize how many things you've kind of messed up. We get older and we look back on our lives, and the truth is, 
it's an easy place to live in regret where you look back and you're like, oh, I, I did not do that so well. Or I didn't, I didn't act right in this situation. I didn't speak right in this situation. Or, or man, I should have spent more time with these people. I should have loved better in this way. And so Jesus challenges them. And the own guilt of their lives, they know, well, I, I, I can't throw a stone here. And Jesus compares them to her in this moment by the way they've lived. And I love this because in the end of this scene, who's left? Just Jesus and her. I love the intimacy of this moment because this is the way Jesus is with every one of us. We're in the midst of a crowd this morning at church. You're in the midst of a crowd most of your life. But the reality is Jesus wants to have moments just like this with you. Where it's just you and him. And he's trying to remind you, he's trying to show you, or he's trying to tell you maybe for the very first time in your life that no one is here to accuse you. And this is what he says. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Now listen, in this moment, theologically, Jesus would have been the only one with the right to throw a stone. He had never sinned. He had never done anything wrong. And by this law that they had written years ago, he could have legally done this act of destroying her. But what does he say? Does anyone accuse you? Does anyone condemn you? And she says no. And then these super powerful words from Jesus. He says this, neither do I. I love this. This is the heart of Jesus for the world. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't even require us to be any different than we are in the moment at this moment. At this moment, she's caught in the middle of sin. She's been humiliated. And all he wants to do is make sure she knows she's not condemned. There's this acceptance, this inclusion. There's this place where Jesus wraps his arms in a sense around her and says, listen, nobody's here to accuse you and neither do I. That's what he's saying to us this morning. Honestly, I believe that is what he's still saying to the world. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't always represent him well. We tend to go first with the accusations, don't we? We tend to want the world to know where we disagree with them and where we think they're wrong and, and how we think they're still sinning and living wrong. But the truth is we have to always start with this, that no one is condemning you. But here, if I stopped at that moment, I would be in drastic error. And Jesus doesn't stop there either. He says, neither do I, but he has them another part of the sentence. What does he say? Go and sin no more. I love the tension of the two. There's a tension of this in Christianity, a tension of this in our lives, this unbelievable acceptance from God, this unbelievable acceptance of Jesus' grace over our lives, but also at the same breath saying, but I don't want you to remain here. You're not supposed to stay the same. There's a transformation of your life that's supposed to take place. This thing that you've been caught in, it doesn't actually define you, and I won't accuse you, and I won't even condemn you of it, but I don't want you to keep doing it. This is Jesus' message to us. 
this is how he looks at us. He says, listen, come in any way you are. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to be fixed up. You don't have to have your life all right. Come in, but, but I want you to transform. I want you to change. I don't want you to stay just in a place of grace and living in sin because that's ridiculous. It, in fact, that's what Paul's trying to explain to the Romans. Why would you want to continue living there? I've often explained this from the idea of like, hey, it's as if we come out of the tomb because Jesus has resurrected us, but we decide to live inside the cemetery. Who wants to live in a cemetery? Who wants to live in the grave clothes that you've been wearing? That's not what God has for us. He calls us to be transformed and clothed differently again. He wants us to be restored back to what he has. And I believe that's what's happening today through baptism. I believe that when we get baptized, it's this transformation moment. It's absolutely this outward sign of what you decision you've made inside. But I actually believe something miraculous can take place in that moment. God can bring healing in your mind, healing in your body, healing in your life. He can wash away things that have still been kind of gripping hold of you and gripping hold of your life. That all things can become new, like 2 Corinthians says. Do we believe that today? Do we want to see all things become new? I want to see all things become new. Why don't we stand this morning? I'm just going to pray for us. Listen, this is what I'd encourage you. Come and celebrate with us, no matter if you've been baptized or not. Come and celebrate out to Barnhart with us. But if you're even listening today and you're saying, man, maybe I need to take that next step. Maybe I've never been baptized. Maybe, I, maybe I've just settled into this salvation that God has given me, but I haven't actually left the cemetery. I'd encourage you, even if you didn't come to the class, even if you didn't sign up, just show up in your bathing suit. Even if you get there and you didn't bring a bathing suit, let's just do it with clothes on. I don't care. I've got some pictures I want to throw up from last week real quick. This is, this is Augensburg last week. I think they're in the general slides, uh, um, Alan. Yeah, this is last week. We did 20 baptisms in Augensburg last week. Just scroll through them real quick. This couple saw our parking signs that said baptism parking here and came and said, can I get baptized? They're new to the area. They came, I believe they're going to be in church this Sunday in Augensburg. Keep going. This is people, I believe, new life happening for them. Incredible fam family story there. All of these are such incredible stories of people. This is all of them right there getting baptized. This is at Stone Fence. So listen, maybe God's moving on your heart. Maybe you want to get baptized today. Show up. Our hope is this, that it's 10.02 right now. Um, we'd give you about a little bit of time, but we want to start baptizing people by 1040, 10.45. So do your best, get dressed, head right out to Barnhart. Um, if you've ever been to that area, you can go all the way to the right. You could stay in the parking lot, but if you know there's a parking area, you go around that kind of dike area and park behind on the trees where there's like those tents and stuff, we have that reserved. So you can actually keep driving, go behind and park in the trees. If you see other cars, you can follow them there. Um, and it just makes it a little bit less of a walk to the shoreline. So. Um, let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing this morning. God, we thank you that you accept us, but God, you want us to be transformed. God, we thank you that it is our decision, truthfully, that you draw our hearts, that you set it all up possible, but we have to lean into you to receive what you have for us. And so, God, we ask right now for new life today. God, we ask for old things to be washed away and all things to become new. 
God, we pray, pray your blessing over every person in this room, every person online today. And God, we thank you that you are doing new things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, be blessed. We will see you out of Barnhart in just about a half an hour. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.